Tonight I want to direct your attention to the Apostle Paul's closing words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with verse 23 and continuing actually to the very first verse of chapter 11. Paul wrote, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. One of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience. But the other man's, for why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Now, these verses constitute not only the closing verses of chapter 10, and then, of course, the first verse of chapter 11, but they're Paul's closing arguments, his closing statements on the question of liberty issues that really began in chapter 8. I remind you, the liberty issue are those issues in life that are not specifically addressed in Scripture, so that they are neither commanded by God that we have to obey, nor are they forbidden by God. He leaves it up to us, and thus they're called liberty issues. We have the liberty to do an activity. We have the liberty to refrain from doing an activity. Now, as you know, the liberty issue that the Corinthians struggled with was whether or not to eat food that had been sacrificed to an idol. And Paul has spent the last three chapters teaching them truth after truth after truth concerning this very matter, this really one issue. And now, as he brings his teaching on this subject to a close, he leaves the Corinthians, and really all of us, by way of application, with a number of divine guidelines to help us decide if we should engage in a liberty activity or not. These are the guidelines, these are the principles you ask yourself as you're faced with one of these liberty issue questions. Now, as I told you the last time we studied this passage, what Paul is teaching is very, very practical because as I've mentioned to you throughout these studies, while today in our culture, obviously food sacrifice to an idol isn't an issue. Nobody thinks about that. That's irrelevant. However, we do have a very similar situation, a parallel situation, if you will, with the consumption of alcoholic beverages in the Christian's life. With some Christians, having absolutely no problem with this. If wine was served to them, they could take a drink of wine. If a beer was there, they'd take a drink of beer. But other Christians are not only opposed to it, they're strongly opposed to it. So as we go through these verses and discover the guidelines set forth by the Apostle Paul, think of the application of these guidelines in terms of drinking alcohol, and you'll see how very practical, how very relevant these principles really are. Now, last time we looked at these verses, we discovered two guidelines Paul has given for helping us in determining whether or not we're going to use our liberty to engage 
in a certain activity. With the first of these guidelines being, and I'll review quickly, use your liberty if it is spiritually beneficial. Use your liberty if it's spiritually beneficial. Verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Now, essentially, what the apostle is saying is that when it comes to a liberty issue, and keep in mind only a liberty issue, not something God specifically prohibits in his word, you are free to engage in it. Christ has set you free. You're free to engage in it. Assuming that your conscience isn't bothered by this activity, then God says, go ahead, feel free to do it because I have set you free. But just because you're free to do this activity doesn't necessarily mean that you need to do this. And that's what Paul is saying. What helps you to determine if you should go ahead and do this activity is to ask yourself, is it beneficial for my spiritual life and does it build up other believers? In other words, does this practice, whatever it may be, help me to grow spiritually or does it help others to grow spiritually? If it doesn't, then you don't need to do it. You have the freedom to do it, but you don't need to do it. So, if you know, let's say, that drinking some wine in the presence of a fellow Christian is going to bother them, then don't do it. That's the principle that Paul is teaching. It's not good for you to flaunt your liberty in front of a brother or sister in Christ, and it's certainly not good for them to do this, someone who has a weak conscience, who might stumble over this, looking up to you thinking, well, you're a strong believer. If you have the freedom to do this, then I'm going to go take a drink but their conscience condemns them and that starts a downward spiral and they stumble into sin. But having addressed the issue of how a liberty situation affects you as a Christian and other Christians, Paul goes on to give a second guideline about using our liberty, which is this, use your liberty for the good of others. Now I know this sounds very similar to what we've just said, but look at verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Now this guideline, as I said, is very similar to what Paul has just taught. However, the difference seems to be that Paul has expanded who your liberty affects. And he's done this by using the word, it's translated neighbor, but literally the the word is other. See, by other, Paul seems to be referring not simply to a fellow Christian, that was the verse before, but to anyone, believer or unbeliever. In other words, our fellow man, our neighbor, our fellow human being. And the apostle tells us that when it comes to deciding if I should do a certain activity or not, participate in a liberty issue or not, it isn't about what we would like to do, but rather it's what would be best in the interest of others. Now, what would be best in the interest of a fellow Christian is that you make sure you don't put that fellow Christian in a situation where he sees you practicing a liberty issue that you know would cause him to stumble. Because as I said, it would embolden him to do the same thing when he couldn't handle it. And what would be in the best interest of a non-Christian is that you make sure that you don't use your Christian liberty to do something that you know would insult them. And as a result, negatively affect your gospel witness to them. Last time I used the example of if you're having a meal with a devout Muslim or an Orthodox Jew, don't order a pork sandwich. You may have the freedom to do that. You do have the freedom to do that. We're free to to eat any food we want, but they're not. They don't know that. And you take that and think about this. Would they really listen to you about the gospel after you do something knowing that this would insult them? 
And listen, contrary to what most people think, the world, and this is really what this comes down to when we think about, well, I have the freedom to do whatever I want. You really don't, because the world does not revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around your interests. We live in a very self-centered and self-absorbed world. The only thing that matters to non-Christians is to do whatever makes them happy, whatever they enjoy, whatever gives them a sense of satisfaction, fulfillment. It's all about them. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's not the way it is for you. You have to be better than that. You are to be better than that. You're not to live for yourself, to satisfy your every desire. Even if some of those desires are legitimate and come under the category of your freedom in Christ, your calling is to be like Jesus himself. And that means serving others like he did, putting their interests ahead of your own. That involves at times refraining from something that you would enjoy participating in, like drinking some wine in front of other Christians, or as I said earlier, eating a pork sandwich in front of someone who would be insulted by that. You are to refrain from these things as you seek your neighbor's good rather than your own, says the Apostle Paul. Now this is where we stopped a couple of weeks ago. And so continuing tonight, we see a third guideline Paul gave for using our Christian liberty, and that is enjoy your freedom in Christ without being overly careful. The key word here is overly, and then the other key word is careful. Verse 25, eat anything that's sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. In this statement, Paul tells the Corinthians something that they all needed to know, and they needed to all know this because it's something that they all did, and that was what? Shopping for food. In the marketplace, like we would go to the grocery store, they went to the marketplace, the meat market. See, in light of how much emphasis the Apostle Paul has been putting on refraining from food, sacrificed to an idol for the sake of the weaker Christian, the Corinthians had to have questions in their minds. They had to wonder, what should we do about purchasing meat in the marketplace? Because that meat might have previously been offered to an idol. In light of the fact that we know that some of our brethren do have a a clear conscience about eating food sacrificed to an idol, while others in our church obviously don't have a clear conscience about this and we don't want to offend them, how do we handle, how do we handle buying meat in the marketplace if we don't know if that meat has been offered to an idol? And Paul's answer is this, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't take meat off your grocery list. Just purchase the meat you want without asking any questions that would affect your conscience. In other words, Paul is telling them not to be overly scrupulous about this. They don't need to ask questions about the history and the origin of the food that they're purchasing. Just buy the meat and eat it. That's what Paul teaches. Now folks, this is a very important point that the apostle is making. He's simply telling us, note this, to enjoy our freedom in Christ and not be so introspective and so overly analytic about whether or not it's okay to do something out of fear of offending our brethren, so much so that we end up doing absolutely nothing. We're paralyzed by it. Here's the way one Bible teacher put it. He said, 
It's possible to be overly scrupulous about our lives, to be so self-analytical, so intense, so edge of the chair that we cannot enjoy anything within the framework of the Christian life for fear of what someone may think or say. Sound like you? If so, maybe you need to sit back in your spiritual chair for a while, relax about what others might be thinking about you, and start taking seriously what's important to God. Here's the balance to what Paul has been teaching us about not causing a brother or a sister in Christ to stumble by participating in a liberty issue. This is the balance. Yes, we certainly should never knowingly cause a fellow believer to stumble. Of course not. But that doesn't mean that we should live our lives in bondage to others, held hostage by what others might think. The point that Paul is making is this. If you don't know If you don't know if someone's going to stumble over your actions, then don't. Don't start investigating and asking them all sorts of questions related to their conscience. Just go ahead and do what you want to do because you have been given freedom. You've been given liberty in Christ. Don't let others put you in bondage. You're not their prisoner. You've been set free. The only time you need to refrain from an activity is if you know for certain that by doing this activity, someone will stumble. Otherwise, just go ahead and do it. See, this was the situation in some respects that, and I've told you this before, that I found myself in a number of years ago when some people in our church, some older folks, complained that I ran my marathon races on Sunday. Now, I knew that this wasn't a matter of conscience on their part because they were not tempted to run a marathon race. They were not tempted to run at all, and that's really the issue that you have to consider. Is this person tempted in this area? Does it bother them? Might they be emboldened to do this? They certainly were not in that category. So they weren't going to stumble over my behavior, not at all. They were just being critical of me because they believed that Sunday was to be a day devoted exclusively to sacred things and not running. So I told the person who conveyed their displeasure to me, first I said you should tell them that they should have come to me first, not you. But I also said go back and tell them that years ago Jesus saved me from Jewish legalism and I wasn't about to let anyone enslave me to any other type or form of legalism. I was going to continue to run those races on Sundays. Listen, the principle that Paul is teaching is this. Don't let this subject of Christian liberty rob you of the joy of living. It's not to put you in prison. You've been set free. According to 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul tells us that God has given us richly all things to enjoy. So, enjoy them. Now, returning to what Paul told the Corinthians about purchasing meat, In the marketplace, the apostle proceeds in the next verse to explain the reason why they should purchase meat without asking anything about its origin or its history. And that's because, as we read in verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Now, this is a quote from the Old Testament. This is a quote from Psalm 24, verse 1. And Paul is using it to tell us that regardless of the history of the meat that someone has purchased in the marketplace, whether it's been offered to an idol or not, is actually irrelevant because God created all foods and therefore they're all good 
to eat. Now, some people may have some health concerns over certain foods or have allergy issues when it comes to certain foods. And so they may choose to refrain from eating those foods, and that's fine. That's fine. There may be dietary issues. There may be health concerns. However, what Scripture makes clear is that there should be, and there are not any, religious reasons, biblical reasons, to refrain from eating any food because God created all foods for our sustainment and our enjoyment, even food that's been offered to an idol. Now, Paul taught the same truth, in, in essence, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. What are some of those? Well, he goes on to say, by means of the hypocrisy of, of liars seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage, here's what they forbid, they forbid marriage, and they advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. This is not about dietary issues. This is not about allergy issues. They're simply saying these foods should not be eaten because God says these foods should not be eaten. And Paul said they're wrong because he goes on to say in verse 4, for everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it's sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. What does he mean by that? He means that if you go back to the beginning of Genesis, you see that God created animals, created seed, created fruit, and said, it is good, that is, by means of the word of God. And when you give thanks in your heart and say, Lord, thank you for this food, strengthen my body with it, or words to that effect, it's sanctified, it's set apart, it honors God. So folks, Enjoy life, enjoy food, and don't let yourself be placed in bondage out of the desire to not offend others. If you know someone with a weak conscience would be offended, then obviously don't do that activity. But otherwise, Paul is teaching, enjoy your liberty in Christ. Don't make any unnecessary fuss to see if the activity that you're about to do is okay with others. Just do it. And having given this guideline concerning purchasing food in the marketplace, Paul proceeds to write about another situation, another setting that the Corinthians often found themselves in and tells them that the same principle applies. They aren't to start asking questions about the food if no one brings up the issue. Notice verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. Now here Paul brings up a very realistic situation that the Corinthians must have faced on a regular basis. He says that if an unbeliever in Corinth invites you as a Christian to their home for dinner, when they start serving the food, don't start asking questions as to whether or not this food has been sacrificed to an idol. Just go ahead and eat and enjoy the food. See, once again, Paul is teaching us that we are to enjoy our liberty in Christ. We're not to go through life overly concerned about what we cannot do. We are to use our freedom in Christ unless we know for certain that it would negatively affect someone else. I like the way one Bible teacher put it. He said, we should not give up our liberty unless it is clearly for the upbuilding of someone else. If we refrain from doing certain questionable things, we do not 
do so from a sense of legalistic compulsion, but from the voluntary restriction of our liberty in order to help build up someone else. Going back now to this dinner party, which is a wonderful thing, by the way, because an unbeliever has invited a believer, and so hopefully we get invited by unbelievers to their home so we can share the gospel, build relationships. But here, we go back to this dinner party at the house of this unbeliever. So, if you're there, what if you find that another Christian was invited too? And he or she makes it clear to you that they know that the food is being served has been offered previously to an idol. They know this. Maybe they have connections with the butcher. They, they know this. Maybe it's their third cousin or something. And this person feels it's absolutely wrong to eat this food. They whisper to you, that food, don't touch it. It's been offered to an idol. Then what are you supposed to do? That's the setting that Paul is addressing. And Paul does address the situation in verse 28. Notice, but if anyone says to you, it means anyone at the dinner party says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, Paul says, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, for conscience sake. And Paul goes right back to what he's been teaching all along. Let no one seek his good, but rather the good of others. Do what's best for others, not yourself. Seek to edify others. Give up your rights. So now that you know you're at this party and you know that the food has been offered to an idol and another, uh, another fellow Christian, he's at the dinner party too. You know he would be offended in his conscience by you eating this food. What do you do? Paul says very clearly, don't eat it. Now this may raise some questions in your mind. Questions like, but if I refuse to eat this food served to me, then won't my unbelieving host be insulted? Won't that be a bad testimony to this non-Christian? I mean, he's been kind to invite me to his home, trying to build a relationship with him. Won't he be insulted by this? I've just refused his food. He's probably paid a lot of money for this food. Won't he think I'm, I'm really crazy to not eat this food just because another Christian has a problem with it? Folks, these are legitimate questions to think about and to ask, and very relevant ones, because as I said earlier, if you substitute drinking wine or beer for food sacrificed to an idol, you could very well find yourself in a similar situation where you've been invited to a non-Christian's home for dinner, and maybe it's not even a non-Christian, maybe it's a brand new believer in the church. And they don't even know these issues. They've just been saved. They invite you to their home for dinner. Wine is served to you. Though you may have no problem drinking wine or beer, if another Christian is at the same gathering and he informs you that he's a recovering alcoholic and it would really trouble him if you drank the wine, then what do you do? Are you to put the wine down and risk offending your unbelieving host? Or drink the wine and for certain offend your believing brother in Christ? Well, Paul has actually already answered these types of questions. He answered them in verse 28. He says, for the sake of your brother in Christ, you are to refrain from eating such food and drinking the wine. You see, God is so concerned about the spiritual health of his children that he puts their welfare, note this, ahead of the feelings of an unsaved person. 
John MacArthur has some extremely wise counsel concerning this. Listen to what MacArthur has written and let his words sink in because this is important. This is very, very relevant, very practical. He writes, it is better to offend the host by not eating the idle meat than to offend a weaker believer by eating it. If we have to choose between offending a Christian and offending a non-Christian, we should offend the non-Christian. The profit and edification of our brother or sister in Christ is of greater importance. Not only that, but our testimony will be harmed more by arguing with and condemning fellow believers than by standing by them in love. Unbelievers will be inclined to respect us for showing loving concern for the convictions of a fellow Christian. Now that's something you may not have ever thought about. But he's right. Well, let me take this a step further. Let me take it a step further by just thinking this through. By showing love to a fellow Christian, your unbelieving host won't only respect you, but he'll recognize something special about you that that maybe he didn't recognize before. He'll recognize that when you demonstrate this kind of love for a fellow Christian, you are demonstrating that you're a true follower of Jesus Christ. This is what our Lord taught in John chapter 13 when he said in verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another by this, meaning this love for your fellow Christian, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another and your unbelieving host hopefully would see that. So the right thing to do in a situation like this is to do everything to help your fellow Christian, even if it would be insulting to your unbelieving friend. In fact, this seems to be exactly what Paul proceeds to say in the next two verses, verses 29 and 30. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Now here Paul first clarifies what he said in verse 28, that he meant that the strong Christian is to refrain from eating this food sacrifice to an idol, not because of his own conscience, but because of the conscience of his weaker brother in Christ. And then Paul raises the question of someone questioning him about why he would do such a thing, meaning why he would let someone else's conscience control his actions. And Paul's answer is that he uses his freedom in Christ to make sure he does not offend a fellow Christian. He says that he gives thanks for the food even if it's been offered to an idol and then he uses his liberty, note this, to not eat the food so that he doesn't offend his brother. He's thankful, he gives thanks, I'm setting it aside for the sake of my brother. Now so far Paul has given us three guidelines in helping us decide if we should use our liberty to participate in whatever activity we're trying to figure out. And now as he begins to wind down his statements on Christian liberty, he gives us what is without doubt the most important guideline in helping us to make these kinds of decisions. He tells us what ultimately should help us determine if we're going to use our liberty or not. And this is the principle. Do all things for the glory of God. Do all things for the glory of God. Verse 31, a famous verse, a verse known by most, if not all of you, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory 
of God. This is really the high point of all that Paul has written about our liberty in Christ. If you want to know if you should do a certain activity, the easiest way to determine it is to ask yourself, if I do this, will God be glorified? So the question comes down to what does it mean to glorify God? We talk about that a lot, glorifying God. What does it mean? Well, essentially it means that we recognize God for who he is. His inherent glorious attributes. We recognize this glorious being and then we live in such a way that honors him for being the glorious God that he is. We recognize who he is. His glory is the sum total of all of his attributes and then we live in such a way that honors him for being such a glorious being. And the point that Paul is making here in verse 13 is that even in the most mundane things of life, like eating and drinking, something we do every day of our lives several times a day, we are to honor the Lord by not offending a weaker brother in the use of our liberty. But it goes beyond that because notice Paul says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It isn't over liberty issues alone. It's everything in life. So the question is, is this how you live? Is this how you want to live? It should be glorifying God by honoring him in every aspect of your life should be your chief goal, your chief aim. This is why the shorter Westminster Catechism states this. What is the chief end of man? They answer the question. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. See, folks, we are to live such godly and righteous lives that we honor the Lord in how we behave in all aspects of life, but especially how we behave with other people, how we conduct ourselves as we interact with others. And that's why Paul states in verses 32 and 33, give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks, he means Greek Gentiles, or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. And Paul lived his life in such a way that he made sure that he did not unnecessarily offend unsaved Jewish people, or unsaved Gentile Greek people, or his fellow believers for that matter. The gospel, understand this, the gospel always offends You can't change that. If you're sharing with someone and at some point they're not offended by it, then you probably haven't shared the gospel. The gospel offends, but we should never be offensive in the way that we speak to others about Christ or the way that we conduct ourselves with others. It's never to be about us and being harsh and insensitive. Paul says that in living like this, this selfless kind of life, this life that gives up its rights, this life that refuses to use liberty to cause offense. Paul lived like this. Why? It says he was seeking to lead unbelievers to salvation in Christ. He gave up his rights for their sake. He said that way back in chapter 9. He's just repeating it here again. See, that's how Paul glorified God. He gave up his rights for the sake of leading others to Christ. And his final words about Christian liberty is a command, a command for all of us to follow his example. Superb example 
Chapter 11, verse 1. The translators should have left it in chapter 10. It's still connected to the Christian liberty issue. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Paul says that to imitate his selfless kind of life is to imitate the example, the model of Jesus himself, the supreme selfless one who gave up his rights in order to give us salvation. That's Philippians 2. We've gone over it before. He didn't think that he had to hold on to his rights as God. Gave them up in becoming a man. So, having come to the end of these three chapters about Christian liberty, what's the primary lesson? What's the primary lesson on the subject? It's this. Follow the example of Jesus Christ because he is the perfect example of what it means to love others so much that you humble yourself by giving up your rights in order to benefit them. That's what Christian liberty is all about. Give up your rights for the sake of others. But if you've never trusted Christ, if you've never trusted Christ, I urge you to do so. He loves you. His arms are open wide to save you if you will only repent of your sin and trust him for salvation. And if you're a believer in Christ, then apply all this. Apply the humility and selflessness of Christ in all that you do so that God would be glorified in all that you do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these not only inspired, God-breathed words through the Apostle Paul, but words that are so practical and relevant. And Lord, while we've said many times that we don't have the issues, the issue that they faced in, at Corinth, we have so many other issues and we want to be sensitive to our brethren. We want to have the balance of never offending them and never offending, insulting an unbeliever. But also, Lord, we want to have the balance of enjoying our liberty in Christ. So give us wisdom for that. Help us to understand not to be overly scrupulous, to be sensitive, yes, but not overly scrupulous, not overly fussy, not overly searching for who's offended by this and who's offended by that, just to live our lives enjoying our liberty in Christ. And yet when we are aware that someone could be offended by our actions, then help us to put them first. And I know, Lord, that takes spiritual maturity. I know that that takes being controlled by the Spirit of God and having a heart that is under your control and in submission to you. So I pray for all of our people that you'll help us to live like this and thus bring glory to you. We thank you for the example of Paul, but his example is only relevant as he was following Christ. So we thank you ultimately, Lord, for your example in giving up all your rights to come to earth to save us. May we follow in your footsteps as we seek to glorify you in this life. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.